0: Hello everyone and welcome to a Friday edition of what I'll now be referring to as the Shining Lights series, platforming lesser known voices with their own incredible stories of showing up, shooting their shot and putting one foot in front of the other. You can check out my previous interviews with Alvaro, Jean-Baptiste and Stian for further inspiration. My guest today is a cyclist based in the Lake District who is the founder of Lakes Gravel Gang, a women's only cycling group which has now grown to over 150 members. I'm really looking forward to finding out more about their relationship with a sport that is growing in popularity and the experience of leading such a special community. I'll now hand you over to them so that they can introduce themselves in the manner of their choosing.
1: Brilliant. Hello, I'm Emily Wormold. Um, My pronouns are she, her. And yeah, I live in the Lake District. Started Lake Scrabble Gang in January 2021. And... um, yeah, it's a brilliant little community
2: <laughs> in the slightly chilly Lake District today. We've just been talking about zipping yeah. the coat up before <laughs> before coming on air. <laughs> so let's just talk about your journey to start off mm-hmm. with, um, Emily. What was growing up like for you?
1: Yeah, um, so I was born and brought up in Norfolk, Norwich, so flatlands of the east of England, mm-hmm. um, and it. I mean, while I can look back now and see that Norfolk is a lovely city and a, like Norwich is a lovely city and a lovely place to visit, growing up, I found it a pretty boring place um, i I don't know like I loved doing outdoor sports, um, but we always used to could only do those on holiday um, so my family is super kind of outdoorsy and had the amazing chances growing up to kind of go on. Holidays up to the View district and late district pretty regularly for walking, um, and I, my I don't know why my parents I don't I still never really worked out why my parents did it, but we lived in New Zealand for a year when I was eight, um, and we just my dad took a sabbatical and did that for a year, um, and so I had amazing opportunities to get outside while I was growing up, and um, mostly loved them, but I definitely was very resistant to uh, when I was younger kind of pre 12 13 I was pretty resistant to being out in the cold being slogging up hills it was very much my parents loved it I wasn't so sure and then when I was 12 I went on my first kind of proper um, trip away with a scout group that I was part of and it was a really amazing kind of proactive really out there scout group even though it was in Norwich we did some really brilliant outdoor activities and expeditions and the first one I went um, went on was to Norway when I was 12 and we went for two and a half weeks and I came back a different person. Suddenly I liked the outdoors for myself and I um, liked walking up hills and I liked being out and about and carrying my stuff on my back um, and then kind of from there I realized I liked the outdoors and did it all yeah kind of did it under my own steam but cycling was never something I was that bothered about until I went to uni because I think I always had my mum's hand-me-down bikes or bikes that I just wasn't in love with or that was always the excuse um so I just wasn't wasn't that bothered about bikes um (laughs) for most of my life <laughs> and now it's changed
2: <laughs> so hills hills were in the picture post Norway. that sounds like an amazing experience as well was that with the venture venture scouts when when it you were was younger, with kind of,
1: yeah scouts when I was um when I was 12 um and I was part of that scout group until I left for uni um and actually we did some amazing things, like the kind of the thing, the effort, the volunteers that were running that scout group put in, really have shaped my life and um, have made me kind of the confident, outgoing um, person that loves the outdoors. that I am, and I really um, they they're doing they did an amazing thing with that scout group. So yeah, Norway for a couple of weeks, and then we would each, and then other years we'd go to the Lake District, or we would. I did a trip to Colorado and Utah when I was two years after Norway with the scout group like they were incredible really and and actually um well it was in quite an affluent area they were very welcoming and open to people coming from all over Norwich um and we did some brilliant fundraising and stuff like that which made the the trips relatively accessible um but still obviously <laughs> pretty expensive so yeah amazing that my parents could support that and send me to
2: that group that's awesome and I guess um I mean we'll come on to to your own community that you've set up um a yeah. bit, but I guess there's the kind of seeds there in my mind of, of sort of that yeah. that building and connecting of people yeah. in an inclusive manner um yeah, right definitely. right back right back then
1: <laughs> yeah and I was um, I was really fortunate growing up to be part of lots of these different little pockets of community, and um, that really yeah I really liked that being around people like-minded people doing things and actually just being part of this really supportive lovely community mm-hmm. of um, yeah so cycling growing up my parents were always like we'd always I'd they try and get me to cycle to school or cycle into town. And it was all, like, very accessible, very short distances. Obviously, Norwich is very flat. But I just didn't like it. I was like, I want to walk. Or school, I would scooter to primary school, and then I'd walk to high school, even though it would have been far quick on a bike. Um, <laughs> but I then went to uni, and... Um, realized the Lake District was this big beautiful massive place and I didn't initially have a car so it was very and I went to uni in Ambleside in the Lake District so a brilliant place to go to uni but suddenly was very trapped in Ambleside because Mm. couldn't get anywhere um, without going on a tourist price bus Um, so it was pretty trapped so got a mountain bike I spent my first I mean, a really big chunk of my first student finance payment on a mountain bike. Um, pretty, I, It was October time, so I was probably only three, four weeks into uni and had decided that I wanted to get a mountain bike. Um, and my boyfriend at the time was super into mountain biking. And so I started mountain biking on this second hand bike that I brought and realized that you could see, see the Lake District slightly more than you would be able to walk. And I mean, at that time, I wasn't super strong or fit on a bike and would moan a lot. Um, <laughs> and it was very much like, um, it wasn't my, it wasn't, I don't think it was actually my hobby at that point either. Um, it wasn't until kind of a few years later where I realized that cycling could be kind of under my own steam. I could plan the route. I could choose where I wanted to go. I could stop at as many cafes as I wanted to stop that, mm-hmm. um, that I realized that, yeah, really, kind of started taking cycling as kind of my main hobby, um, and I was training at the time to be an outdoor instructor. Um, that was my degree was an outdoor leadership, um, and then I was full steam ahead to being an outdoor instructor. Um, so, cycling was always the bit that I wasn't doing for work. It was always um, climbing and hill walking and paddle sports was work, and then I'd go for a bike ride, and that was a really nice defined. Um, kind of what was work sports and what was my personal hobbies
2: and it sounds like it was very much for you kind of a way of of connecting with a broad range of landscape as well of kind of it yeah. sort of freedom through wheels in a way yeah
1: definitely And I up. think in in the lakes rather well, we've got amazing climbing um you would drive into the Langdale Valley, for example, walk half an hour up to this crag, and then you'd spend all day on this one bit of rock, and you would only see that one view. You'd only go to that one place. Um, and I found, yeah, like it was great, but then suddenly biking, you could actually lap around 10 valleys a day if, you, if, it, was, if it was a big day out, or even like I've, some of the big rides I've done in the lakes have been, yeah, kind of your... I could do a whole a whole lap of kind of one side of the Lake District in the entire day. And that's just so, yeah, would never happen if you were doing a hill walking day or a climbing day. Um, so that kind of just seeing road spaces, um, moving through landscapes, like, so beautiful to kind of enter into a valley and, and exit the other side of it. Um, yeah, that's such an amazing thing to be able to do.
2: And to really feel a kind of sense of accomplishment in that, yeah. I guess, as well, you talked about... The idea of um, sort of owning your experience as well, yeah. and that coming from being able to kind of plot your roots and things like that. Yeah. And yeah, it's exactly definitely found a lot of
1: kind of, I hate the word, but empowerment. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, it's cheesy, isn't it? There should be a better word. Um, but I think I realise my own skills, ability, and capability to kind of move myself and my bike from one place to the other. And deal with the things along the way, whether that was a technical bit of terrain or whether that was a, a mechanical on my bike. And actually, the more of those days out I've had of kind of being, yeah, like looking after myself and and picking how my day goes, whether I turn back or whether I cut that bit short or whether I extend further or whether I plot a route that goes to all of my favorite cafes in the South Lakes in one day, like, I can... I have that autonomy and um, ability to do that, and it makes me feel it, yeah. I find them such yeah, really empowering days out where I've, sort, I've done made my own made my own way.
2: No, that's cool. Let's reclaim that word empowerment. I think <laughs> empowerment just, <laughs> with all the caveats that go with it, let's go with it. Yeah. <laughs> and you talked about kind of the fact that your um that the bike that you got the mountain bike. Obviously, mm-hmm. that was kind of splurging quite a lot of your your student loan, whatever at the time and things. But yeah. there is um there is the idea with cycling as well that, that it needs a lot of equipment and things like that, yeah. and having to kind of maintain the bike. Did you find that a little daunting in terms of getting into it in the first? instance
1: yeah I think it's such a complicated one I think there's so many like while cycling in one way is super simple in another it's like it's so hard to get into and <laughs> and to the equipment it can be such a barrier and I think um, there's a lot of stigma about having the right bike or mm-hmm. the cool like the most kind of modern technology on bikes or and that is a big blocker to people getting into cycling um, and I think for me at the time I was really fortunate that my boyfriend at the time knew lots about bikes and could tell me which secondhand bike was a decent investment of my money and fix it when it went wrong and then it wasn't until later that I learned to do it myself Um, and then I think that's when a lot of this empowerment started of actually I can look after my own bike, I can make a decision about what new bike I want to buy, I can just about work out these which part will work with it which part when I'm building a bike Mm -hmm. Um, and actually it's all part of that kind of wider finding people that are also into the hobby that will answer the weird and random questions or this bit's rubbing what do I do and I think yeah there's so many barriers into getting into the sport.
2: But I guess it's knowing then that those answers are out there and that community is out Mm -hmm. there but I suppose when you start out, you can very much think, oh, it's it's just me and this, this thing, this bike, that I, I've got to do it all myself. And even yeah. if you're not, then in that... Relationship that was kind of facilitating yeah. that. There are still those people. It's a question of the the connections that, that yeah. you make to them, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's I'm trying to buy a van at the moment, and it's like I have no idea about vehicles. I don't know anything about secondhand engines, what I should be looking for, where where good bits of like okay bits of rust are, and when there's bad bits of rust, and all those sort of things when buying a secondhand vehicle, and I'm like, oh. This is what it's like for people to be buying a bike if they don't know anything about it like it is a daunting a big investment of money and something you have
2: no idea about. Oh, you need to read. Um, my friend Nancy Campbell um, has written mm. a book called Thunderstone, which is um, mm. it, it features her moving into into a caravan, and there's a whole process yeah. of her trying to kind of establish what is what is safe and unsafe, basically. <laughs>
0: about her.
2: Um, so that that might be a good a good go to. I don't I don't necessarily think it will teach you what's safe or unsafe, but um, <laughs>
1: at least it's
2: shared experiences of having no idea. Shared, yeah. <laughs> so when did you make the transport to gravel riding in particular and can you just explain what that's about for people who don't don't know anything about it
1: yeah so um i was going to mountain biking um, and then was always kind of a mountain biker which is such a like i hate how people have to identify themselves by kind of what type of bike ride they do um but i think um well covid lockdown happened, and I'd been talking about getting a gravel bike for ages, I'd heard in the kind of media hype about the more kind of adventurous side of biking, and um, that kind of inappropriate bike on bumpy terrain, or going longer, quicker days, so I'd been talking about getting a gravel bike for ages, and eventually COVID start, was kicking off, um, and one, a, a bike that I'd had my eye on for a little while, obviously that shop was like, oh no, there's Big pandemics happening. Let's put some like discounts and get rid of our stock before the pandemic gets too bad. So I ordered a gravel bike then, and it turned up, and it was it just became that lifeline during COVID. Of right, I've got this short window of time to do a bit of uh, activity. Where can I go? What can I do? And this this bike that yeah, kind of had slicker tyres and was moved slightly faster on the roads than my mountain bike did. It meant I could ride from living in a town into the countryside into like some really beautiful edges of the lake district and had that freedom of kind of being able to go for a journey despite it only being for a couple of hours within the covid restrictions so yeah kind of started that and then very quickly mountain biking was kind of not really the done thing to be doing for quite a lot of that first year of covid because it's much more dangerous and you're much more likely to fall off and need mountain rescue or um whatever so the gravel bike was a brilliant way to explore from the door and go out and about and have these adventures um i think gravel riding um it could be anything i think the media hype behind gravel cycling is kind of um a road bike but with Fat tyres, fatter <laughs> tyres that you can go and do kind of long days out, bits of off road, get into the countryside. Um, and I think that American kind of gravel is very, I call it princess gravel of beautiful, th- like smooth fire tracks through beautiful forests. Um, we don't have much of that in the, in the Lake District. <laughs> so gravel riding to me is very much kind of a journey through lanes and bridleways and in the lakes you've got some brilliant kind of national cycle network stuff um and it's a mixture of smooth um smooth terrain that you could do kind of uh, beginners could ride like off-road canal kind of path stuff not but not on, not next door to a canal. Um, <laughs> yeah, that might the be a that, risky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no the Yeah, canals in the Lake But I think the way that I I ride my gravel bike is very much the kind of more adventure cycling side of things of of taking this bike that could do most terrain if you're willing to throw it down something um, and going for a little going for an adventure so whether that's kind of a a morning where you go on a mixture of bumpy stuff that's a bit inappropriate and you probably be should be on a mountain bike um, or nice smooth stuff or it could be a multi-day trip through through an area that's kind of a lot of mixed terrain so that's kind of mine's very much adventure side of gravel riding I suppose
2: and do you think that's what it gives you as opposed to say um road cycling which it doesn't Mm. really sound like you've done much of that anyway (laughs) um more of a lumps and bumps kind of person but is it that sense of adventure that it gives you kind of you 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 sat on your gravel bike and it's like right we're going on a on an adventure however long that is it might be yeah just out the door for an hour or it might be something bigger kind of thing yeah and I
1: think that's kind of that um it's what you make what you fancy that day and it can be the bike can there's just a a tool to get you to wherever you want to go or or the, the style of adventure you fancy that day and i have done a bit of so i got a new a new gravel bike but it's very much an adventure bike kind of fatter tires heavy steel frame it's brilliant um but it doesn't go that quick on roads. So I accidentally kept my old gravel bike, which is now a, I call it my lanes bike. It's awful. And so I've now got far too many bikes. Um, so I'm doing a bit of kind of longer laney stuff. And I would, I would love to kind of up my mileage so that I'm able to do kind of a big couple of hundred k day. Um, so that's why I've kept the, the, other, the faster bike. So I did actually on Sunday do a, Uh, only lanes route we didn't go off-road at all
2: (laughs) oh wow (laughs) and so just to give us like a little bit more of a flavor what's your Mm -hmm. favorite uh kind of mini adventure route to date and i know that you've done something um across uh the kind of pennine way as well which has been written about Mm -hmm. for outdoor provisions. so aside from that one which i'll come on to what would be your favorite route
1: oh I mean, there's some beautiful stuff in the south of the Lake District, um, and it's the, my standard go to stuff. You can, within kind of um, 20 minutes, half an hour from my door, I can get down to Windermere and I can cross. The, the lake on the ferry because adding a ferry to a day out makes it a, a brilliant adventure <laughs> it's a holiday, um, and it's a holiday. So you can, with the car ferry you can cross the lake and then once you're on the other side of the lake there's a beautiful gravel track up the side of Windermere, um and it's kind of it is that princess gravel it's mostly smooth it's got be- trees all around you the lake's right there um and it's just suddenly you're kind of in the middle of feels like nowhere I mean there's lots of lots of dog walkers and families and stuff but that's beautiful and then from there you can access kind of so many brilliant kind of trails and some great cafes and wander around the lakes and yeah I think that kind of standard South Lakes kind of day out there's just so many options and so many little bits to add on or cut that corner or go there um it's yeah it's really yeah, some really good out the door adventures
2: so sort of choose your own adventure thing I'm also going to totally coin that princess gravel terminology as well <laughs> yeah I-,
1: I can't remember who it was but someone um someone that from I think they were there were a Londoner or a down south person that talked about princess gravel and I, I heard it and so I was like I was that so it's not my term I can't remember who it was <laughs> i stole it from
2: <laughs> it's why i twigged never to read like she reviews on on an american review website because it, it's not the same kind of train no. they're not going to do mud ever. but <laughs> well, certainly no, not the it, kind of it, sticky stuff that we have over here well, so.
1: <laughs> it's either mud or bumps here isn't it we don't get much else it just turns sloppy in winter or it's really bumpy
2: <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think the barriers are I'm kind of moving on now to talking about like Gravel Gang but what do you think the barriers are for women getting into cycling
1: oh I mean there's so many isn't there and I think um I there it's such a it is an expensive hobby to get into bikes are expensive, all the equipment that comes with that. And I think the media doesn't do a very good job of of helping because it looks like you've got to have the, the newest gravel SPD shoes or um, the specific um, clothing, the kind of gravel range, rather than being a roadie or a mountain biker. There's all this clothing and equipment that it seems like you have to have. Um, and I think that's a huge financial cost to get into and i think there is a brilliant kind of movement of these inclusive cycling club that um Are pushing that you can turn up with whatever you want as long as you've got a helmet and a bike that's safe to ride then that's grand it doesn't matter if you want to wear road hiking kit mountain biking kit or the clothes you went and did the supermarket shop with before you came on the ride and it doesn't matter and um so I think kind of yeah that is a huge barrier um but then also kind of time and other commitments that that women and yeah people have I think that um, it's a well-known fact that women have less leisure time, especially if they've kind of got um, got children or families or dependents. Then that's yeah. How do they how do they make time to join a group ride that could be a question about of time on a Saturday morning if they've got kids that need need looking after? Um, and I think that yeah, time is a big barrier. And then I think also think there's a, a whole the whole confidence thing of people. Um, not not being confident to ride their bikes on their own or join a group ride whether they've had previous bad experiences riding in a group before or they um, aren't sure what to do if they get a puncture so don't feel confident to join a group of strangers in case they get a puncture and then look stupid mm-hmm. so um, I think that kind of it takes a big step of confidence to join a group um, cycling or to, jo- to go out cycling on your own because there's scary cars and people and but lots of unknowns that yeah what happens so I think that's a huge um, a huge barrier and it's just there's not it's hard to see I think a lot of people struggle to see their place in cycling um when it is a very kind of white middle class male dominated sport um and how do, how do people that don't fit into those categories see it as a, a sport that's marketed for them or, or as a sport that's accessible and welcoming for them if they can't see themselves in the people doing it?
0: Yeah, and I guess
2: that comes back to what we were discussing really at the start of the conversation mm-hmm. with identity um, mm-hmm. and that you somehow have to be labelled as as something um, yeah. And, yeah. and what a cyclist looks like and what it doesn't look like mm. and how much time you have to put into it and what training you mm. have to do and what you eat and everything that goes yeah. into that um I can imagine that's quite a daunting prospect and feeling like yeah. do I match that
1: yeah and there's so much about kind of all like yeah there's so many people that are obsessed by the stats of how far did you go what was your average speed and those sort of things and it's like actually we need to amplify the voices of people that are going for a pretty standard adventure riding five ten kilometers or riding around their local park and if for them that's what they want to do then then we should be celebrating that or that's a brilliant place for people to be starting and accessing the sport Um, and there's nothing wrong with that it doesn't have to always be about distances or Um, PL average speed or any of those things
2: yeah because at the end of the day no one cares and I think that sometimes exactly. sometimes when you're doing kind of you're pushing yourself in challenges and things and you think oh, mm-hmm. actually it's probably quite valuable to tell myself sometimes no one cares Yeah, <laughs> you're literally the only one who's putting this pressure on yourself to to be that thing um yeah. and and no no one minds because they're all they're, they're doing their thing as well and caring about their thing and who cares about that
1: so <laughs> exactly and we should all just be yeah doing what we love to do and being proud of that Of actually I love going for a Saturday cafe ride and there's nothing wrong with that at all and then also I think then it's hard because actually people might want to shout about their achievement of riding a really long way and it's making sure that we find the right balance of amplifying everyone's voices and celebrating everyone's achievement because for them whatever's an achievement to them is something to be celebrated
2: uh, I think that's an amazing message actually and yeah it, it mm-hmm. you know we need to celebrate people doing these these epic things but yeah. if that epic thing is finding time with a crying baby at home to go Ooh. out around the park that is yeah. just as epic <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not more so
1: yeah um, 100% and actually for lots of people Going for their first ever group ride probably will be much more of a mental battle than anyone doing any of these mega challenges riding for days through the wilderness. Actually, I think that the challenge to, to try something new or put, step out of your comfort zone is, yeah, is big for a lot of people
2: yeah and as you say, time is a privilege, so um mm-hmm. it's also kind of owning that fact as well. I'm sure lots yeah. of people would would love to go on days and days and days events, but just don't don't have the time, whether that's because of job mm-hmm. or family um yeah. or, or um expectations as as we've said yeah. so what was then the thinking to um behind Lake's gravel gang and setting that up?
1: yeah, I think um, I mean, it was mainly a selfish ambition in a lot of ways <laughs> i um Covid, I think, for a lot of people. But um, I, I really, I found, it, I found it very lonely. I, I had started a new job, and which I didn't kind of know any of my colleagues. Suddenly working remotely, um, trapped at home, not able to do loads of things. I was relatively new to an area, and so I hadn't met loads of people. Um, and then suddenly was very kind of confined to to the very small number of people that I had kind of any contact with and that was really hard um, and I think I realized that I wasn't the only person that needed some friends that needed to kind of broaden that the network of people they were talking to and spending time with um, and was really I was really craving that kind of people to do things with um, that wasn't just my partner that I was living with and seeing all day every day um, and so, um, yeah, and I, I spent a lot of time that um, that winter with a friend who um, was living on her own and she kind of joined our bubble and spent kind of brilliant time adventuring with her. And actually it was like, right, we need to expand this. We need to, um, that we know there's loads of women that feel the same. And so um, started, well, kind of, wanted to start group rides and then kind of we had another lockdown or kind of restrictions so started doing some kind of plus one rides where we tried to encourage people to sign up and then we partnered them up together we're like we're like matchmakers um Mm. and so um partnered people up to ride in pairs which was a lovely way for people a few kind of people there was only a handful of people that got involved but actually to meet a few new people and to ride a suggested route that um put out there and I think that was a really lovely start and it meant that there were some really key friendships and then just basically started a WhatsApp group and started planning group rides um, and then suddenly there was loads of people turning up that had moved to the area just before COVID or even during COVID or working remotely and just really wanted that connection and there was a few people on that first ride that weren't really so they weren't cyclists they wouldn't have called themselves cyclists. um yeah they but they wanted that connection with other other people um and i think that's why being what's really key through the development of gravel gang is that we've realized that um it's about community building first and the bikes are just the tool um there's loads of cycling groups around there's loads in the in the near and around the lake district that do cycling really well Um, and if people want to join a cycling group there's loads of options for them but actually there's not many groups of of women getting out um, regularly um, for people that like cycling so um, I think that's that's been the success of just community building first but bikes as the vessel.
0: That is
2: so lovely. And I, I was going to say that from, from an outsider's perspective, it seems that it is about far more than simply cycling and the manner in which you built it very organically and in a very kind of like human tactile way. Um, it, it seems like it's, it's much about creating safe space. Do you think yeah. that that's how, how a lot of women who join lgg can i can i abbreviate yeah. it lgg the gang <laughs> whatever the gang, we them. The gang. Yeah. um we'll go for a different different variations to the conversation um so for women who join the gang um do you yeah. do you see do you think they see it as that this a safe space
1: yeah and i think i mean there's always more we can do and there's definitely times where we've slipped up um and i think but that's kind of our that's our aim that's our um what we're trying to do um and it's that kind of creating this safe environment for people to, to to step. We've acknowledged that for a lot of people joining us for the first time, it will be outside of their comfort zone. Um, so, uh, building that kind of safe, friendly community so people feel like that is something they can do. Um, and I think so. It's kind of it is a space for all women, um, and as well as kind of non-binary folk that. Are comfortable in the, the space that kind of centres women um, and the experiences of women um, and I think it's really important to have this safe group for people to come and and we talk about oh uh, like uh, we'll often be riding and you can see someone's like knicker like BPL and you're like are you wearing knickers you shouldn't be wearing knickers underneath your chamois like if you're wearing padded shorts don't wear knickers and they're like oh I didn't know that and suddenly we can have those conversations or we'll talk about yeah life about and and I think it's that really beautiful open space that that happens when it's a bunch of women and I don't think I really a lot of us didn't really realize we needed that or the importance of that until it was kind of happening and I think yeah I started when, when we started it was very much like maybe we'll let men come at some point um we'll kind of set the tone we'll get it going with women only and then probably invite men to kind of join our community um but it's been, we keep reviewing that, but it's very apparent that people like it to be kind of women and non-binary people only. Um, so that's really, yeah, I don't think we realise how important that space is or how special it is until it's kind of happening.
2: And the VPL question is is really, <laughs> sim- t- it, it does testify to the importance though, of having that space. I mean, when I just first started yeah. cycling as cross training, and I was spending yeah. quite a lot of time on, on the turbo, like I had to message a male friend actually, because I didn't know any women to ask the question like, yeah. Okay, so I'm getting I'm getting kind of all right and consistent with this. My vagina is not yeah. happy. Like what what exactly, yeah. what can I do? Please, can you tell me that then yeah, yeah. he was like, right, okay, you need to do this, this yes. and this, padded short. And I was like, right, okay. Thank you, but like I didn't know where that space was to go and ask like the big question.
1: Exactly, I I made it very clear from the beginning of every group ride we were going to talk about flaps. Or I'll be like, like, and we'll talk about saddles and flaps and (laughs) comfort on the saddle because actually, like, number one reason why people won't enjoy cycling, in my opinion, is that they're not comfy on their bike, like. Or they'll they'll only be able to ride a couple of hours before they're really uncomfortable. Or they won't be able to do more than twenty k because actually they can't sit on the saddle any longer. And and what what a barrier to be enjoying cycling. Um, and and when people have spent a thousand pounds plus on a new bike and they're not able to ride it for more than a couple of hours because they're not comfy, actually that's we should be talking about the importance of getting the right saddle or padded shorts or not having extra layers of clothes that are going to chafe um, and having that space where it gets discussed, um, I think is, yeah, is really, really important.
2: Or shouted out on a lane in the Lake District. <laughs> uh,
1: we've got some like cycling caps that we got made um, for the gang and on the side, there's a little speech ball that says flaps. It's great. <laughs> I wanted it on the peak kind
0: of that everyone can see and
1: everyone's like no emily like,
2: we can't have flaps on the peak oh, so. <laughs> yeah, so subtle flaps are okay,
1: yeah, okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so what does a typical meetup look like or is there no typical meetup <laughs> give me an idea oh, good question I
1: think they vary so much, um, and I think, I say it kind of most group rides, that it's it's different every ride, depending on who turns up, and the vibe of the ride can be so different, like, week on week. Sometimes we can just be super mellow and, like, chatty, or, or actually pretty quiet and just enjoying the scenery. Other times we're like a gabble of wild women, um, chat-nattering away every possibility, and it just totally depends on who turns up. But we have... Um, we have our like community ride at the last Saturday of every month and that's kind of our regular ride that um, we really try to have at least two different options of distance um, and we'll all start together and either straight away at a cafe or very su- very quickly all riding to a cafe together um, so that then everyone kind of rides different speeds and different distances, still get to see the people that ride a different kind of distance to them. So that's a really nice opportunity just to all come together. Um, And then from there, we would then split off into kind of a a shorter group maybe around kind of 20, 25 kilometers. Um, Usually trying to keep the shorter group on also as a smoother group, but it's not always the case. Um, And then the longer route might do kind of a bit further um so that's kind of a standard community ride and then throughout the rest of the month we do just different different distances um different bumpiness try to vary between kind of the different areas of the lake district but um yeah kind of can be anything really
0: and I noticed that you run
2: um skills groups and evenings Mm -hmm. as well so can you just talk to me about those and what the
1: thinking yeah so I think so gravel gangs like mission if we call it that is to build community and confidence on two wheels so how do we so yes community great let's go for bike rides together let's chat let's go to cafes but actually for a lot of people the um the barriers to them riding on their own or joining a group ride or being confident on their bike is how to fix it how to look after it how to um to do those kind of basic mechanic skills so um we have run lots of they're either pastries and punctures if they're in the daytime or pizzas and punctures if it's the evening and we'll do um session where we look over kind of um what thing parts the bike is called so that you can then go into a bike shop and be like my cassette is worn out rather than be like the things at the back that changes the gear (laughs) um so using learning names of bits of the bike because i think that gives you uh, it gives you power it gives you kind of empowerment of your bike to know what things are called um so we name parts of the bike um sticky labels all over the bike it's great um and then um we go through kind of basic tools to carry and what their use is um, so people know that on a on a for them to go riding it's worth them carrying a pump and an in tube that fits their bike and some basic tools and then we then go through kind of the basic puncture repair technique so that people and practice it and practice it so that people are confident fixing their bike and along the trail as they go um and so those sessions are great because they're for, for someone like me that is um confident riding a bike confident fixing stuff it's such a basic thing but actually for people that have never practiced those things is like that's the key to key to cycling for them that's the key to them being able to go out on a bike ride on their own or a key to them not being terrified of this bike in front of them um so yeah they're brilliant sessions really good um and we then done a few kind of more in-depth ones about kind of brakes or chains. Or we had um, Julia Hobson, who's kind of a, a coach and a guide. Um, she came and did kind of a weekend more in-depth bike mechanics. And just really brilliant to see a bunch of women in a room learning about their bikes together. Um, learning to change their brake pads so they're not having to go to the bike shop and spend 50 quid for someone to do it for them. Um, yeah, it's really brilliant.
2: That's an incredible energy, I'd imagine. And, and I, I'm particularly fascinated yeah. by that idea of language as well, because mm-hmm. that is historically, that has historically been, you know, the barrier to, to women mm-hmm. being uh, on an equal level as men. And yeah. I, I hadn't thought of that in terms of being able to own that language around, around yeah. bikes as well. And it's again that idea of ownership, isn't it? And, mm-hmm. and being able to yeah. take
1: control. And it's the same, it's back to that kind of car analogy. When I take my car to the garage, I have absolutely no idea what they're doing to it. I don't know what the bill or the different parts of the bill is. And it feels, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is a lot of money to look after this thing I don't understand. And I'm just passing it to some man in a random garage that I don't know to sort this car. Um, And it feels very kind of like it's all just so distant. Whereas this bike, it's... It is simple a lot of things on a bike are very simple to look after and fix um but actually just not being terrified to, to turn a bolt and know that you're not going to break anything or make it worse or or try something and give it a go and if it doesn't go right then you take it to the bike shop anyway um so it's building that kind of confidence to give it a go so that you can take ownership of this your bike yeah. uh, rather than having to rely on fixing it at a bike shop um, and it's on the bike shop's turn rather than your turn, um, so it's back to that. Back to that empowerment.
2: Thing. <laughs> <laughs> back to the empowerment and that that sort yeah. of getting away from the princess narrative of not having to be saved. You can damn well save yeah. yourself, kind of thing. And obviously, being exactly. you know being wise to the fact of when you need to ask for help from people,
1: but yeah. having enough skills. Yeah, that's that a job that you can solve yourself because actually, like changing some brake pads on a bike while that the kind of brake calipers and stuff might look really terrifying they're actually super simple it's one bolt you pull the brake pads out and you put the new ones in it's so simple but but people are taking that to bike shops and spending all this hard-earned money on a really simple fix that they can do themselves and then actually they can feel great about doing it themselves
2: (laughs) yeah it's a, it's a win-win isn't it yeah. <laughs> and we talked about uh pizza and punches but i've noticed that cake seems to feature quite yeah. quite a, an important thing um within the gang um and uh, what well, is that a big aspect of route planning how much
0: does cake 100%. feature? <laughs>
1: oh, I, will, I will always i even for my own personal riding I'm very much like which cafe would I like to go to okay right I've decided on the cafe now where I'm going to ride and I think it comes back to that kind of community building um is the, the the cafe stop or time off the bike is actually where the community building happens because when you're on a trail maybe you're you're in single file line kind of not much chatting can happen or you're riding along but then you then you can it's hard with a group bike. You often. Will never have more than like a very brief conversation with someone because suddenly you're alongside them and then suddenly you're in with someone else, or it can very easily not have long kind of conversations with someone. So, um, a cafe is a pivotal part to stop and chat and slow down, and it gives people time to to rest if they're finding it difficult. It gives them time to fat with their layers or gives them time to, um, yeah. Kind of have a break from the cycling if that for them is the challenging part um and so that we can have a nice chat and eat good cake and support mm-hmm. i'm very i'm very conscious about gravel gangs people power of supporting local businesses as well um so where possible it's we're trying to go to the kind of woman-owned cafes not that there's loads of them in the lakes but trying to go to those and um yeah you get supporting places financially with our kind of people power. I love While that. Also, having great cake and
2: coffee. Win win. <laughs> A sort of cake commute kind of thing. I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and speaking of cake, I really loved the the video on your Instagram of your birthday ride that seemed to also yeah. feature some some quite uh, quite interesting fancy dress that was going on as well. And I just wondered if you could reflect on that and the importance to you of kind of celebrating your birthday with with a ride and with a group of like-minded women
1: yeah um yeah it's an interesting one I think so last last year was obviously first year for Garragang um and I we were trying out all these new different things like how how do how do we make rides work in the best way that kind of work for different people um and actually um starting a ride that's one of our favorite the place where we met on my birthday ride—it's one of our favorite car parks because it's free and big um and there's almost no free car parks in the lake district so we start lots of rides at high cross um mm. and it's also brilliant because we can there's a, a grassy area so we can put up a easy up or all come around with our camping chairs and start the ride with coffee that we brought in the back of our cars and cakes and stuff that we've all brought um so we do lots of rides from there and then i was like right how do we do something fun and celebrate um, just being a bit random and celebrating our uniqueness as a community. So we all turned up in dresses and it was brilliant. Um, <laughs> and I think that was the first year of Gavel Gang where I was just so excited that um, that there's this community of people that are willing to go for a bike ride in dresses together. Um, and so my birthday was a brilliant excuse to do that. Um, we've had a few other like nice yeah, birthday rides for different people and um, trying to not make a habit of them now because it's it's not all of <laughs> we're trying to, yeah, otherwise then you miss people's birthday and don't want it to be all just around different individuals. Um, so we didn't do it this year. I was like, let's not do a birthday ride for me this year because <laughs> it's not all about me but I think it um, it's just it was a great excuse to ride bikes in dresses around the forest and just mm-hmm. not not take ourselves seriously. And it's all part of that thing again of you can ride your bike in whatever clothes you want. And so actually What a great statement to make of a bunch of thirty odd women riding bikes through the forest in dresses. We got (laughs) some great looks.
2: (laughs) I can only imagine. And do you think what what things kind of carry over from your experiences with with the gang into Mm -hmm. into your own individual life?
1: Yeah, I think I'm very much like. Go with what makes you happy and what makes you excited. And if that's a random idea, like pitching to the gravel gang of let's go riding in dresses and suddenly everyone's like, this is a great idea. Like how how brilliant is it to be able to have people like that, that kind of cheerlead your random ideas. And recently we did a cheese board ride. And this was another <laughs> one of my random ideas that I had in the, cal- we have like a shared calendar um, that I'll put, we'll put rides in. And I keep putting, I had a cheese board ride in there and I kept moving it to different dates because I never got around to organising it. And some one of the other ride organisers was like, what's a cheese board ride, Emily? What on earth are you on about? I'm like, just imagine everyone bringing a different block of cheese, you ride and then you stop and then you've got this brilliant cheese board of all these different cheeses and sides and then you eat cheese. Um, <laughs> so we did that a few weeks ago and it was brilliant. <laughs> and I think it's just, um, it's amazing and so yes yeah, so f- fulfilling to have a bunch of a bunch of incredible women from more different walks of life that uh, get on board with each other's random ideas and celebrate them together um and that's just I think is a it's a wonderful way to live life
2: and it sounds like that there's a lot about vulnerability and being Mm. able to be vulnerable with each other not just Mm. in terms of first of all showing up and getting on the bike and joining Mm. the group but also in terms of you know pitching ideas and and seeing if people will like them and things and um and I wonder what does vulnerability mean to you?
1: I think it's oh good question I think it's yeah just embracing those thoughts that you have and and giving them a go, and finding people to come alongside you with those ideas, um, and yeah, and doing the things that make you slightly, yeah, slightly apprehensive, and then really working on them and making that kind of yeah, making it work. Um, so yeah, it's that stepping outside the comfort zone and trying something, um, and it's may it's so much easier to be vulnerable and step outside your comfort zone when there is a bunch of brilliant people cheering you on and and on that journey with you um and I think there's there's so many other women that are part of the gravel gang so there's 15 ride organizers that kind of run organized rides and make stuff happen um and lots of them kind of a year ago would never have dreamt to be plotting, planning a room and they're not leading but kind of organizing a bunch of people to go for a bike ride they would never have done that so it's creating that safe space for people to to try and and sometimes it doesn't go right or sometimes they get we get lost we go the wrong way the route ends up being a bit rubbish and you're like sorry this was not gravel this was very much mountain biking but we're all in it together to kind of to learn and try new things and it's brilliant to see people doing different things they wouldn't normally do or, or supporting people in their kind of their journey in life whatever they're doing.
2: It sounds like an amazing sort of transfer of, of skills and, and, and support that goes on yeah. in, in that circle yeah. and talking of putting yourself outside your comfort zone as well I've, I really enjoyed reading about your experience with the Pennine Rally for outdoor yeah. provisions who make delicious nut butters and, um, and <laughs> energy bars and, and things so um, and can you just explain what that Event was and kind of what your goals were starting it and the preparation mm. or lack of preparation <laughs> beforehand that went into it.
1: Yeah, I think um so. I kind of with starting gravel riding and riding off road um, got kind of the idea of bike packing really appealed to me. Kind of traveling for a longer time through a through an area, getting from kind of point A to point B, and I'd only done. Um one trip before the Pennine Rally, um, that was my first ever bike trip, really loved it, and just that kind of simplicity of it was such a simple holiday during COVID where kind of it was all really complicated. But actually once we were there, once we would got off the train in um, the middle of Scotland we were riding through this wilderness and so I was really hooked on that um, but I was like oh this Pennine Rally that looks long and far I won't apply for that and then a few month, a month or two later um, Kirsty my friend and I, we got a message from Luke, and Luke at Outdoor Provisions being like we, we have some like bay connections with Luke and we kind of know him and he obviously had been following on what with Gravel Gang starting, and was like do you guys want to do this? <laughs> and we were like okay so Kirsty had Kirsty had only ever done one bikepacking trip but as like a wine tour through the south of France (laughs) from B&B to (laughs) B&B drinking along the way so I don't know how much realistic the bikepacking it was and I'd obviously only done this one trip so it was a big for both of us we were like okay we'd only really started hanging out that year Um, we'd not really ridden our bikes much together but we'd Become friends through our partners being best friends, and we we're like, okay, well, we're in this together now. Let's give it a go. So we did some panic training. We did one bike, like overnighter trip. We were like, we should probably bike pack together and check that we can sleep in a tent together and not hate each other in twenty-four hours, and then we'll be fine for five days. <laughs> um, so we kind of did some panic, panic bigger days out, but not loads. And then we just fully embraced the kind of what's the worst that's going to happen. If if we can't do it, if we get tired or we aren't up for riding 530 kilometers, then we just come home. Like it doesn't. What is the worst? It's going to happen. And I, and I think deciding that, um, while we were terrified and we were we were really kind of it was a it was a big undertaking and we were kind of pretty fell out very much out of our comfort zone starting the ride. We very quickly got into the mindset of actually like, what is the worst that's going to happen? This is, we're on this adventure. We'll make of it what we will. Let's just have fun. Let's enjoy our journey together. Um, and yeah, it was brilliant. We had a, a proper laugh. It was hilarious. Um, and we, we did cycle the whole 530 kilometres and I don't think we we didn't really believe that we were going to make it until kind of halfway through that last day we're like oh my goodness we're actually like we're going to be early as well we were like phoning our partners being like we're going to be early get there sooner <laughs> um, and I think yeah it was a really beautiful week of spending time the two of us solving our own problems and and having this journey as a, as a pair um, when we didn't really think that we would be able to do it
2: (laughs) especially after the friendship litmus test
0: beforehand as well (laughs)
1: yeah I mean after about day four I was like Kirsty, please hurry up these hills I can't be bothered to go at your speed (laughs) or like there's definitely like points where when Kirsty and her like half asleep state like lit the stove in the tent I was like no (laughs) um but yeah it was a it was a really brilliant really brilliant trip to have and I think actually Yeah, what a great thing to be able to do with a friend.
2: And if you had to pick like one low light and one highlight, what would those be from the trip? Was it the stove
1: going (laughs) on? No, I mean, that was just one of the longest. I think um, I lost my spoon on the first day, um, left it where we had lunch on the first day, and then I had to eat my dinner that night with a tent peg. (laughs) What am I doing? Why am I eating my dinner with a tent peg? But then the next day, I um, commandeered a spoon from somewhere. Um, so it was, that was salvaged pretty quick. Uh, my bike broke on day, exactly halfway through. So I couldn't use my easiest gear. And that was definitely a low light of, like, it was very hilly. And so to not have that easy, easiest gear meant that I was having to, having to kind of push a really hard gear all the time. So it meant I was... Me and Kirsty were traveling at very different speeds uphill because she could like spin away, whereas I was having to really put, really, really put effort in on, on a harder year. So that was definitely not ideal because we couldn't fix that, um, and not ideal, um, but it was all part of the journey <laughs> um, and a highlight. I don't know, I think. We just had some really beautiful wild camps, we met some really incredible people, it was just a really lovely atmosphere um, and then that kind of last day, we it was a really hard last day, really hilly, really slow terrain, and we were knackered. Um, I'm really hungry. We were like eating a lot, but we just kind of got in. I mean, lots of time during the week, we got kind of pretty hysterical, and that was just how we how we made it fun. We were laughing at ourselves in that situation, but when we could see Manchester, and we're like, right, Manchester's there, we're almost there. That was just brilliant.
2: I bet that was amazing. Also, knowing knowing that you were early as well, (laughs) yeah. yeah and um, so was bike packing something that you want to do more of do you think after that experience
1: yeah for sure I think I've realized I really love the simplicity of it so if you pack your bike up more than not you then get on the train and once you get off that train it's kind of there one out you, it's your own kind of you You make that journey um you've got to get yourself on the bike and your stuff and the person you're with to the, to where you're aiming to get. Um, and I, I think that's kind of, it's such a beautiful contrast to normal life. Um, the normal life of kind of being in a house with all these things, being having to be places at a certain time, being connected, kind of working and on your phone all the time. And I think suddenly you're just in the middle of nowhere with literally the stuff that you're carrying on your bike and almost like limited signal and battery. And it's just so simple, and for me, that's kind of yeah, just such a beautiful thing to be able to to do in life, just to kind of i suppose the privilege of being able to tune out everything and and appreciate the simplicity of life coming from a very kind of privileged overcrowded life um so yeah, definitely brilliant way to spend holidays i love
2: it (laughs) that's interesting isn't it that you kind of talked about some of the barriers to to cycling being oh all the things that have to be planned and everything that goes into it but actually when you think of all the ways that we are connected every moment of the day as you say in in a privileged space that we are like Mm -hmm. it's actually very simple (laughs) it's an escape from all of the decisions that you have to make that aren't about how am I going to get up this hill? What am I going to eat next?
1: <laughs> exactly. And it's so simple. And, and obviously, before a trip, you're like, oh, do I take this sleeping bag or do I take this one? And obviously, it's all ridiculous and materialistic. But once you're there and it's happening, it's just, yeah. I don't think there's, other than maybe a beach, sunny holiday where you sit there in a deck chair a week, I don't think there's much of a more simple holiday. Um, and I couldn't think of anything worse than sitting on a deck chair for the whole
2: week. No, know me neither I'm not, not very good at sitting on deck chairs <laughs> that should be quite simple as well but it's very difficult <laughs> and I know it shouldn't be the case but am I right in thinking that that trip there was a 50-50 gender split on that and
1: how do yeah, you yeah so how Rafa do you think kind of events could made it they them organizing kind of the Pennine Rally they made it a commitment to have a 50-50 gender split and mm. and it was the, the first year it happened which was the year Kirsten and I did it um that was the first UK um event grab a kind of cycling event that committed to having a 50-50 male female split which is just I mean I mean we can be yeah it should be the case for everything but we know it's not and actually it was a beautiful like a really amazing atmosphere really Brilliant event, and it was great that they they made that a priority.
2: And do you think? Sorry, I slipped in the second part of the question whilst you were talking, which wasn't it was was rude of me. Which was about: Do you think that's what other events need to do in terms of addressing the imbalance at, at the start line, making that from the outset a priority?
1: Yeah, I think I think they have they have the power to control who's at that event and seeing it's not good enough just to be like right it's a ballot or it's entry first come first serve um that's never going to change the narrative of of cycling being for everyone and i think while it's not while it's not an equal representation of society within cycling events then people organizing them and and tickets should be um kept for certain groups of people and until until that's kind of happens naturally in until it's a 50-50 gender split people of all different ages and backgrounds and um and race then I think we um, yeah they need to have separate tickets for for specific groups of people um, so I think that it's, it's amazing events that are doing that well now or or events that will um, save tickets um for uh, people of colour or um, people from underrepresented groups or even kind of um, parents or mums aren't going to be able to sign up for an event when you've had like a week's notice and suddenly you've got half an hour to register for an event. I mean, people haven't planned childcare or um, looking after other people in their life or holiday. People don't, not everyone has the privilege of that kind of flexibility in life. So how can we, Make the process fair for people. I think is a, a really important thing for event organisers to be considering.
2: No, I absolutely agree. Anyone who argues against positive discrimination, well, we've had discrimination for a really long time. So we're going yeah. to need <laughs> to. We need to actively yeah. do something to address address that balance, really.
1: And it's a it's a win for everyone. Like so, the I Rally the year I did it actually, while men were only 50% of the group of people they had um they had a brilliant time because they really enjoyed sharing it it changed the whole atmosphere of the event which for 80% of men 90% of men is what they want too so it's a win-win for everyone it's not just yeah it's not just a win for women
2: absolutely and what would you say to someone specifically women i guess because that's what we've been kind of framing this conversation around um thinking of getting into gravel riding because we've talked about kind of what events could do but if someone is a bit nervous about getting on a bike or or signing up for an event what what one piece of advice do you think you'd give that person i think it's finding people that will support you in
1: in trying the new thing and that will support you in building that confidence in a really positive way um so finding a network of um whether that's a woman's led cycling group or one of the great there's loads of great mixed cycling groups around or kind of the more traditional cycling clubs that lots of them are doing brilliant things as well as the woman-led communities Um, and i think it's finding finding one person that will help you buy that bike or tell you share that the ebay secondhand link with them and they'll be like no you should spend your money on that or don't go near it just finding one person or a group of people that will support you in that Um, and there's so many brilliant online communities as well now so even if there's not one in the area you live in or if you don't have time to be going out with groups that only meet on a Saturday morning there's so many brilliant online communities that um will in a WhatsApp group or a Facebook group help with questions or or we'll have those discussions that um that need to happen around comfort on a bike or which bike to buy or skill building stuff. So there's loads of brilliant things happening.
2: Oh, that's amazing. It's really good to know that as well, because I know, for mm-hmm. example, with trail running, there's like Queer Runnings, which is the, mm-hmm. which is the online, um, LGBTQ plus, um, mm-hmm. group for, for trail runners. Um, yeah. and, and it's, I think it's good to know that there are those connections with people where you can find, if not that physical meetup, then that support. Safe space um, yeah. for people to ask those questions, whether it's about flaps or punctuous or whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and just to finish with a few uh, quick fire questions, what's okay. your life mantra, um?
1: Oh, oh, this is not quick. I'm <laughs> to. What's my life? Got
2: Ponderous um, quick questions.
1: Um, give it a go. Failing's okay as long love
2: as there's cake you're going to go as long as there's cake that's brilliant <laughs> i take that um, bucket list route to cycle oh
1: um oh I can't do quick questions <laughs> there's too many um, no, I'd love to do a trip through Wales I've not ridden much in Wales at
2: all awesome and um, this is probably not going to be a quick one either because it's favourite cake <laughs>
1: Favourite cake? Oh, uh, donut. Oh, no. Is that, is that a
2: cake? Is the
1: donut a cake? Well, it's always my go-to in a cafe because okay. there's lots of great cafes around the Lake District that do brilliant donuts. So, I didn't I'm know that. that.
2: I would never <laughs> have put the Lake District and donuts together. But now, is there a particular donut that you like? Is there a variety of donuts?
1: Um, well, Chester's, one of the cafes in the Lakes, does a brilliant um does a brilliant jam donut they make their own jam or um yeah or a cinnamon bun you can't go wrong with a good cinnamon bun but I've got high cinnamon bun standards whereas donuts donuts are a pretty safe cake to not be disappointed with (laughs)
2: my my best friend Emily who um just shares your name but not a love for cycling um but she loves swimming and she's definitely a a cinnamon bun gal as well and cheese too so maybe I should get her on a bike because she'd uh, she'd really love you guys (laughs) definitely (laughs) there we go we talked about friend dating I think I think you two need to need to connect um and finally uh what I ask all my guests um what does joy mean to you
1: finding people to share joy with and um having an adventure Yes, yeah, okay. sharing it with the right people I think
2: <laughs> sharing adventures with the right people thank you so much and um, I've enjoyed this conversation so much and learned so much from it as well and I think that the community that you're building I mean I haven't stopped smiling throughout this conversation Mm -hmm. I think that's just testimony to the kind of the glowing energy that I get just from from you and and what you've built and I know that there's there's others who are building it with you as well but it's just been so wonderful to hear your journey into something that has given you so much and is Mm -hmm. really supporting people in a really tangible way to Mm -hmm. find something that's giving joy to them as well with with cake along the way too (laughs) (laughs) lots of cake (laughs) so thank you for sharing um this space and is uh, the best way for people to connect with you and and Lake's Gravel Gang is that on Instagram
1: yeah Instagram and then we've got a um a Facebook group but that's mainly just for kind of organizing uh, logi- uh, logistics events kind of group um so yeah instagram is the best place to start
2: okay um and i'll post a link to that in the show notes thank you. thank you again and and so much love and joy to you today
1: thank you for having me come and join us for a ride whenever
2: <laughs> yeah i would love to it sounds great i'm not i'm not a cyclist. Psych- well i wouldn't classify myself as a cyclist but maybe this conversation has actually you know changed my mind on that so <laughs>
0: thank you Anne I am so grateful to the community that is growing around the podcast and if you've enjoyed today's episode I would so appreciate if you can share it with your communities and help spread the message of support, perseverance and joy further if you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests you can find me on Instagram at running underscore on underscore joy I'd love to hear from you Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time for Running on Joy.